are listening to the Open Nesters podcast. Why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester? Open to new adventures, relationships, and passions, and your aging vitality, spirituality, and sexuality. The Open Nesters podcast, reimagining the empty nest. We're not empty nesters. We're open nesters. Our home, our hearts, our lives are open to endless possibility. Open nesting is so much, just so much more fun. There's so many people to meet out there. There's so many friends to make, and there's so much sexual fun to have. Hi, this is Tessa, executive producer of the Open Nesters podcast. So happy you're joining us and welcoming you to explore your openings in Act 3. We had these three wonderful guests on at the end of December to talk about Dry January. And this episode is really rich and deep around healing and recovery, and it's for our whole family system. So I really know you'll enjoy it, and especially if you know someone who has, is suffering from addiction. Let's hear it from the panel. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast. I have three amazing people with me today, Andrea Cashman, Dee Dee Armstrong, and Calvin Young, and you'll hear a little bit about them. So I'm going to go right into introducing Andrea, who was actually on one of our first season one episodes about the three passions of different couples with her husband. And through their sobriety, because this this episode is a lot about, it's really focused on recovery, um, they found new passions that were so beautiful you could look back on. And so I'm going to ask Andrea just to give you a little bio on herself and then move on to Kelvin and Didi. Hi, uh, Tessa. Thank you so much for bringing me in here to discuss this topic. Um, it's near and dear to my heart. So um, currently, I'm a, a yoga and mindfulness facilitator. And um, I, this is sort of my third chapter in in my life and in my career. Prior to that, I was in the corporate world. And then I was a school teacher. And um, what brought me into my passion for sobriety and wellness was becoming a caretaker for my parents. And at the same time, I was a caretaker for my kids. So I was in that famous sandwich generation, right? So prior to that, I had had, you know, just fun, fun, fun times in my life and, and uh, career oriented life. And then I had to devote all my time to others. And it was very stressful. And um, at one point, I'm like, I can't, I can't drink anymore because I have to go to the hospital in the middle of the night sometimes. So I was brought into um, a sober life, not on my own desire, but on a desire to take care of other people. And at that point, I realized how much better I felt, how much easier life was. Um, I slept better, um, you know, I, I eating, everything started to get easier. They call it the softer, easier way. And when my parents passed, which that did happen eventually, obviously, um, I decided that uh, being in the process that I was in helped me so much. I wanted to help others find that as well. So I did some training with um, the teacher, Nikki Myers, in something called yoga for 12 step recovery. And um, I got my yoga certification through Kripalu. Thank you so much, Andrea. Kelvin, tell us about your story. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Tessa, for this opportunity to be on your podcast and with my awesome colleagues, Andrea and Didi. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity to share a little bit about myself and hope it could be of support to your listeners. Uh, again, my name is Kelvin Young, and um, I'm a, a certified sound healer and co-founder of Soul Care Love uh, with my beautiful life partner, Maria Del Carmen. Uh, which have opportunities to offer sound healing sessions to different people from all walks of life, uh, which I'm grateful for throughout the United States. Um, I'm also a recovery support specialist. I work with men and women um, with Hartford Healthcare. I work at a psychiatric hospital, the Institute of Living, and also work for Rushford, which is the addiction treatment center. When I work with men and women that's dealing with mental health, addiction, and trauma issues, I really help them to create a life that works best for them, not for me, not the clinicians, uh, but the individual that I'm working with. Uh, but most importantly, I'm a person that's in long-term sustained recovery, which means I've been sober from alcohol and any other drugs since March 6, 2009. And I'm grateful for my experience that I went through. Um, and I'll share a little bit more in detail a little bit later. Um, but I'm happy to be here and share a little bit of my experience, strength, and hope uh, to each and every one of you. Thank you, Kelvin. And Didi. Hi there. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am a person also in long-term recovery and have four children who are adults. I grew up in a family with alcoholism in it, um, which is where this whole thing began. I am in recovery for 23 years and ended up having two masters, in one in social work and then one in addiction counseling. That last master's afterwards, I went in and started to run a program for older adults in suffering from addiction, many of whom found themselves addicts later in life after they retired. Um, I am now a coach. I work online primarily, and I do teaching with family systems uh, recovery focus. And I love it all. It's wonderful, but it's a very different environment now that we have what's going on since COVID, and a lot of us are working online. So I've been working online, which has been just fantastic, and uh, love this podcast love this idea and i'll pass it back to you well, i'd love to gear it and start with Didi towards um because this podcast is specifically about the stage of life that we call act three when our kids have left the nest or are leaving the nest because we have a new opportunity to rediscover ourselves so i'd love you to address that first because how has that impacted how, how has your work or your journey impacted your own children Oh, my goodness. So much so. Um, I, I think that the way I show up in recovery is entirely different than the way I showed up back in the day and the way I grew up, which had to do with alcohol, was really the center of many activities. Here we are in the holidays where alcohol is the, is the center of a lot of focus for my Irish Catholic background um, and maybe for others. I don't know. But um, that's not the focus. Now, do I fix, manage, and control my children? Do I tell them what they can and cannot do? No, I don't. Um, but I do have rules and I do have my own boundaries around my household that are different than they were. When we had an open bar and the household was uh, very much as much as you wanted at any time. And it's not that way at all anymore. So I feel, I feel, and my kids and I talk very openly about our inner life. It's and so how, different. How do your kids feel about having watched your transition? I mean, that's the personal stuff I'm really interested in. They love it. They are so proud of me. I send them mess like if I'm in a in a publication, I'll send them copies of this podcast. I'll be like, "Come on, take it, take it in." Because the thing is is that life is about learning. We're all learning whatever lesson we've got. And this is my lesson. 
It's one of my millions of them, but it's it's a big one for me. And so if they want to know me and they want to know part half of them physiologically is me um, to get to know me better. I mean, this is great. So and a lot of them bring me their friends that are suffering. I have my a couple. My daughter particularly has a lot of friends who are suffering with addiction and they're calling me. So they've never gone through addiction or just have you modeled because you started since you're 23 years. That's a while. So your kids watched you. They wa- that seems yeah. to me to have been a really important part of that. They absolutely watch me, but their own journeys are their journeys to share. But I'll tell you that you don't catch addiction and you don't avoid it because you see somebody else not be in addiction at that moment. Um, I think my family, physiologically, emotionally, and spiritually, all are part of this journey. It's part of our journey as as people in my in my family. Well, I do believe that our we we when in our own families, that's the first place in our own hearts in our own journey, and yet the families that we continue to impact. So you're looking all of you, I know, and I know Andrea very dearly. We dance together, and she's an amazing role model. And I'd like you to talk about your kids for also that journey with them. Okay. Hi. Yeah. Thanks, Tessa. Yeah. So I have two daughters that are both in their thirties now, and um, interestingly, about a year ago, I sent them a book and a, a about where I I had a chapter in this book on happiness, and I sent them a letter in there saying, you know, these are some some wise words that you can take into your own life, and I asked them to sort of reflect on our history and whether there was anything they hadn't told me that maybe had impacted them during um, my time of of coming into sobriety and, and there was a lot of there was a lot of drama let me put it that way rather than trauma in our house during the time that my husband and I both found a sober life and all they could say to me was how proud they were of us that we had made um, changes in our life that made it richer in spirit and in love and um you know, so they, they, neither of them are, um, on a sober path right now, but they have, they both realize that they're lucky to have good role models in a direction that they could take in their life. And, um, so that, that was a really, uh, I was very grateful to hear that from them. It makes me want to cry. It's so beautiful, really, about, about the kids, what they need to see in, in, in their parents as individuals or as a couple. Well, thank you both for sharing about, your path and your journey with your your children. I do have a daughter. I have a 26-year-old daughter, and my relationship with her is, is so much better now than in my active addiction because my daughter, she's seen a lot, you know, um, throughout her 26 years being on this earth. And me being in active addiction, she see me uh, verbally and physically abusive to her mother. She see me, like, you know, drunk in public, um, not only on, on alcohol, but other drugs. Uh, she see me make some very poor choices out in the streets. See me very violent in the streets as well, too. So I caused a lot of trauma within my daughter. And my daughter, Tatiana, you know, she was my inspiration for me to find an inner motivation to really change my life around for the better. Because most of you know that, you know, I'm in recovery and I've been incarcerated and I found my, my sobriety while in prison. And I never forget that day, you know, I've been to prison a few times, but my last prison bid when I found recovery, I never forget being in that jail cell in Hartford Corrections and thinking about my daughter and the pain that I caused her and the pain I caused to my family members as well too. 
and still detoxing the night before from alcohol, from heroin, from cocaine, from marijuana, prescription opioids. Um, you know, I was in a very weak and sad um, place. And where I was at, you know, we made a hurt, might have heard the, the saying, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's where I was at. And that window opportunity was open for me. And my daughter, Tatiana, she was my inspiration for me to find that inner motivation to really change my life around for the better. Because I wanted to be the man, the father that my daughter could look up to and be proud of. So while in prison, I took advantage of all the programs that was available. And the one significant program that really helped me the most while incarcerated was the drug treatment program. And it really helped me to learn more about myself, my relationship to alcohol and other drugs. But not only that, how it impact me mentally, how it impact me physically, and I believe how it impact me spiritually as well, too. But I also learned tools while I was incarcerated as well, too, um, such as yoga, meditation, sound healing while I was in prison. And today, you know, being over close to 15 years, uh, being sober from alcohol and other drugs, my relationship with my daughter is so dynamic. And I had opportunities to be on different platforms, being on a, a documentary called Uprooted Addiction, which is out on, on Amazon Prime videos. And that you can see that it talks about our experiences with addiction and at the root of addiction is the trauma, is the emotional pain, is the stress that I was under for so many years. And my daughter watching that video, that documentary and telling me that she was proud of me and, and all the things that I've done, that really touched my heart. And that keeps me going and, and really touching other family members, kids, people that's going through addiction with, with all kinds of substances out there. And, you know, what I've learned that addiction is not just, you know, with, with substances like drugs and alcohol, we could be addicted to so many different other things as well, too, particularly in our culture and our society. But just having this, this healthy relationship with my daughter now, and I, I kept it 100 with her all the steps when I got out of prison. And I told her about my impact with alcohol and other drugs. And, you know, she's on her own journey as well, too. And her relationship with any substances of her, of her choice, that's her, her, that's her life. But at the same time, I keep it 100 with her and I let her know uh, the impact of alcohol and other drugs had on me and just be mindful of how it can easily turn into from a social drink into a problem drinking into a full blown addiction. And, you know, we have this open communication where she feel comfortable enough to talk about, to talk to me about her experiences, whether it's with uh, any substances or any, just any other experiences that she's going through in her life. Thank you. It's amazing how much our hearts open. And that's what you're all talking about in so many ways is like really getting real with our relationships through this process. And that's, I've had friends in 12 step programs who I've envied them going through a process you know, this idea of recovery and how we identify how, I mean, basically how people, even other people that you've noticed get in recovery and, and how, how, how you would help them start identifying that. That's a very big question for, um, there, there are many, many aspects to that. Excuse me. The first piece that I'd like to talk about has to do with, um, the fact that I can't bring anyone to that understanding. That's the very first thing, is that all I can do is show up with my recovery and show them the way my life looks and be open to listening to them when they come to the point of saying, huh, I think I've got a problem here. And sometimes that happens when I share my experience and somebody goes up to me and goes, you know, I 
I drink like that. And I just sit and listen and wait for them. Now, this is a friend. This isn't a client. This would be a friend, right? Or a child. You know, when one of my children come up to me and mention something, my whole job is to be present, to listen, to focus on what they're saying and respond to it, not react, not to jump the gun and call anybody an alcoholic. That's not my job. My job is to listen and then to offer. So the good news about this program that you're talking about is it's all about attraction. So if I walk in and I look like, hey, I want to be like her when I grow up, right? They're going to start asking questions about it. But if I start pontificating from a big platform, forget it. Their ears are shut. I know mine were. When people said to me they think I have a problem, I did not respond. No, thank you. So it's all about making it something that's appealing to other people and about what all three of us were talking about, which is relationship. If I go right from heart to heart with someone I love and hear them and acknowledge them, there's an opportunity for me to maybe, maybe, just maybe give them some help. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's the question. We we can't give them answers. We can just help them find the questions if they're ready, right? I mean, either of you want to speak to that, Kelvin? Like how, how sure. for, yeah. for example, you're doing a lot of that work publicly. So I'd like you to... I mean, I know people call you in for that, and so you go to different places. But if there's somebody that isn't one of those groups that that doesn't come forward, or in your in your life, mm-hmm. you're saying in your life. So how do you help them by by being a role model and just saying you're here for them? I mean, what are the basic, simple ways? And then maybe even talk a little bit about any of the examples you've seen of recovery. Yeah, recovery for people. You know, some people don't even identify with the word recovery, but I I do. Recovery is a word that I I identify with, and for me, recovery and healing goes hand in hand. You know, because recovery for me is coming from a place that I don't want to be to a place that I want to be. You know, so a place that I didn't want to be was my relationship to alcohol and other drugs was very unhealthy. It was very toxic. And the place that I wanted to be is is sober. You know, I want to have a relationship that was free from alcohol and other drugs. And the people I work with today, I invite them to become curious with the relationship with alcohol and other drugs in a very um, non-judgmental way, in a very compassionate way, you know, to really, really look at the relationship to these substances. And if they cause any issues in your in your life, um, it's time to ex- explore that and see, you know, the pros and cons of that. Dy- dynamics and something needs to be changed, I'm available. And I realized that some people's recovery may look different. You know, my recovery is abstinence based, you know, and that works for me. And people I work with today, you know, we have this model called harm reduction and people are, you know, want to reduce harm and risk to, um, to themselves or to any substance that they use in. So therefore, I got to respect that and understand that pathway as well, too. And people's recovery may look different. Some people recovery uh, may involve 12 steps. Some people recovery may involve celebrate recovery. Some people recovery may involve, you know, other pathways, refuse of recovery. Um, some people pathway of recovery may involve Vivitrol, you know, or Suboxone or Methadone or cannabis, you know, or psilocybin. So everybody particular recovery looks different. But my job is to hold space for them, listen to them, and really ask good questions to have them to explore their inner dynamics, explore their relationship and what's causing um, the issues in their lives. 
And oftentimes, you know, in my coaching, the alcohol and drugs is irrelevant. You know, how can I help them to really build their life so they get to the point where alcohol and other drugs would just won't be a part of it? You know, um, because for me, you know, addiction is a human experience, not a human identity. So behind the so-called addict, which the word I do not like at all, besides the word alcoholic, which another word I don't like, is a human being that experienced a significant amount of trauma, emotional distress, and, and toxic chronic stress, and just looking for a sense of relief from that distress. And we live in a culture and a society that kind of conditions us to reach for something outside of ourselves when we're dealing with any type of pain, whether it's the physical pain or, or emotional pain. You know, and that's not to downplay the impact, the complexities of addiction, you know, because it is a serious public health issue. But I know the way that I describe my human experience and label myself as that, because we're more than just our so-called disease or illness or health conditions. You know, we're, we're sons, we're daughters, we're husbands, we're wives, we're so much more. And that could be so debilitating in so many ways when we describe our human experiences by these labels that society put on people with lived experiences with alcohol or any other drug. So really just helping people to shift the way they see themselves, the world and the people in it when I start working with them um, is a very good point. And I have them to really explore their relationship uh, with the substances and their, their relationship with their life and the life that they live in. Are they living with, with purpose? Are they living with meaning? Are they have a, 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 a particular um, pathway they want to explore in their lives? So really, it's just really creating I'm a life that that really works best for them, you know, whether alcohol and, and drugs involved with it, that's totally up to them. But I allow people to really look at the the dynamics of the relationship with alcohol and the drugs and really explore that. So, you know? so I mean, and looking at it, though, here, I'm going to go back to this, this again. Mm-hmm. We don't want to intervene. So, so let's, it's, if some, we know, I mean, we always, what is it when everybody kind of shows up to try to do that? What is that called? Intervention. An intervention. How do we feel about intervention? Like, I'll ask Andrea. I mean, how do, how do you feel about intervention and how can someone who's seeing something in, in their lives um, help step into that with that curiosity and not anything that's too directive, per se? Well, I, I think when there's um, a situation where an intervention maybe seemed necessary, it's when there's harm that's coming to other people and or to that person. Um, so family members may choose to step in or loved ones to step in and try to take somebody out of their situation they're in so that they don't harm themselves or others. Mm-hmm. But the main thing, and this is what I'm hearing here, is that nobody can tell you, nobody can feed you the desire to be sober and to have a sober life. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm talking about sober, not not just in not having a substance, just like um Calvin was saying it's um, the spiritual sobriety that we have and the spiritual growth is increasing a relationship with ourselves and with our higher power, with our spiritual side. And um, when you're seeing somebody that's in pain, the best thing you can do is listen and um, and be an example. But to intervene is is ask questions i mean how how can how can somebody gently ask questions that is not first it has to come from their own i would think groundedness that's not attached to the agenda like if you don't do this then like none of that but if i want to gently ask a question for somebody 
you know, do you even ask how many drinks you're drinking or how 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 much is this is 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 the fact that you're drinking impacting you or do you have to wait till they come to you? I guess that's what I'm kind of asking. Or 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 drugs. I mean, drugs or or shopping or or gambling. I mean, or sex. You know, there's all these are all just getting away from the real ability, like you were saying, of our own spirit. So there's there's no quick fix. And I know you can't give me a straight answer for exactly how to do it. But if somebody is struggling with that, what's a way to approach them? I am I'm also in recovery as a family member. So what you're talking about is the recovery of the person who's living in relationship with the addict, right? Yes. That's really the the core of it. And as far as I know, and from everything I read and know and have experienced in my life, um, going up to the addict and saying, I think this is a problem, doesn't work, as you said, the straight on approach. However, the one thing I can do is I can have boundaries around what I will and will not support. So if it's a child, you know, not uh, allow like technology addiction, it's a huge problem with kids today. There we go. And yeah. so parents have to take a moment to think about what they will and won't have in their households. People are afraid to talk about addiction. They're afraid to talk about neurotransmitters and what happens in the brain. They don't talk about these things. It's very clear. It's factual. It's right there in the books. You can teach your children about what happens to their brain when they do these addictive substances. They can do whatever they want with it. But you know what? When you're in my house, this is what you do in my house. You know, so the concept is the only thing I can control is what's going on in my house, my purview. When you're out there in the world, sitting there and calling them up and speaking about what you think is their problem, how many times do you think they're going to take your phone call? Do you think they're going to pick up that text? Then, I don't then, think so. Then you're sabotaging the relationship. So. Exactly. So leaving it open, I have an open relationship with a child who went through treatment and is now at the other side of it and is is using. Um, and we don't discuss this. We discuss other things. We have a very open and great relationship. And if and when he decides that, just like Kevin was saying about, Kelvin, excuse me, what was saying about um, about the fact that people have different recoveries, who am I to say that abstinence is the only way? Who am I to say that, really, even in the field that I'm in? No, he's looking at it from a different perspective. So let me be open to it. But I'm that. keeping the communication keeping open. The communication because open. the heart is the most important part. The so. heart is the most important part. I love this. I mean, so we we always hear about codependency, like if other people should go to to learn about how being a codependent. I mean, is that something that any of you would address or think that you'd want to help someone like the family member who's watching this? They have to get help for themselves. Is that correct? A hundred percent. Calvin, Anybody would you else? like to talk about that? Indeed. You know, because, you know, even family members can be become dependent on a person acting in addictive manners, you know, and with that, that dynamic change, it could be hard for uh, the family member as well, too, because they're so dependent on, on the addicted person acting in a particular way. So therefore, there's, there's also all types of supports. But you know, one of the questions that I like to ask is, you know, the people that I'm working with, you know, what is the drug? What is the substance? What is the behavior doing for them? Because it's doing something for them. And that's the question that 
you know, oftentimes we forget to to ask. We're like, oh, don't just say no, don't do drugs. But what is the drugs doing for them? You know, and and kind of ex- explore that with curiosity instead of judgment. Um, I think it goes a long way as well too, because there's a reason why um, people are you know reaching out for substances um, to give a sense of relief. You turn on the news, you turn on the internet, you turn on social media, you see all kinds of stressful events that stimulate in. Um, the, the nervous system, you know, keeping us in survival mode, keeping us in a stress response all the time, 24-7. Our nervous system is designed for a world that no longer exists. So we're constantly in that, that fight or flight or response all the time. So therefore, why people reaching for substances, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me why I reach for it. It makes sense to other people why they reach for it as well, too. And just understanding the relationship that people have with substances and finding healthier tools to deal with those distresses that they're dealing with in life, I think is is the key. You know, we, we think of other countries like Portugal that, you know, decriminalize a lot of the substances and, and how their their economy, how their um, culture is, you know, they see great results um, in their, um, you know, the issue they have with, with addiction. You know, but I don't think America is ready, for, the United States is ready for that. But I think it's so important that we explore the relationship that people have with alcohol and other drugs. And we also got to explore uh, the family dynamics of of our addicted loved ones that may be impacted by some type of substance. What is it doing for them? You know, and have that compassion, an open heart, like we was talking about. And, and, um, be, that, so and be that model, be the light you want to see in the world, not just the change, but that light. Like that's what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Right? I was talking about that with someone yesterday. And so I'm asking all each of you also, what's opened up for you through your sobriety? I mean, and especially you are all open nesters. So I like this idea of now what's open to you? What do you feel like has has changed for you, has become has helped you ignite your light more through your sobriety? I mean, and what what are the things that you're doing? And we can get into also you like to if you like to talk about some of your upcoming programs too, I'd be happy to. I guess I'll put my voice in here. I haven't spoken in a while to Sandria. Um so yeah, I in in my sober journey, I, I took a time where I started drinking again, um, just to be part of my crew that I used to. And I noticed for me that um, my enthusiasm and sort of my spark for living was dimmed down. Um, and so I was like, why am I why am I doing this? You know, I, I realized that it wasn't being helpful to me at all. And so I came back into sobriety and my my enthusiasm to learn and to share and to dance and to have fun was so much lightened and brightened, you know, and I'm a I'm a what they call a senior now. So I'm over 65 and life is better than it's ever been, you know, mm. where if I had kept on the path that I was on, I don't think I would be saying that for sure, you know, so um I'm doing retreats and and um, and continuing my teaching program and meeting new people that spark joy in my life and um, and that's the whole thing is like if our light is being dimmed for the enthusiasm the the heartfelt um, life that we want to live then what's you know what's not it's not what I want <laughs> so. And you mentioned something, because I know Andrea is also a teacher at Kripala. You mentioned something about um, a session that is available soon at Kripala for young adults. Yeah, there's, I just, um, I did my 
my additional training at Kripalu, um, right coming up in January, they have a, um, a weekend retreat called um, Sober Curious. You know, so it's it's a program in which people who are just thinking, hmm, what would it be like to be sober? They can go in and get some guidance in mindfulness ways of, of approaching that, as well as very joyful and um, and and intellectual sides of it too. You know, it's it's so so rounded in its approach. And um, now, now I know I do know people that have it compounded more than just addiction with. Um, bipolar and with i'm sure that's what you all and your counseling i'm sure Didi. um so this idea that it's not just one thing so that so coming into like a, a dance or a mindfulness workshop that's around sobriety but yet you have a chemical imbalance how do you deal with that and i and i still do want you to address the question of your light so i'm going to ask you to both Didi. okay like first your light how your light opened up and then this is what opened up for me when Andrea just said this. So, yeah, the the light thing, I, I can't even tell you. Drinking um, flattened my life. It took, it made the answers to everything were to fall in love with it. And I fell in love with it. And it was in the center of everything. And it was between me and every other person in my life. And it kept me in prison. And not having alcohol in my life has opened me up to a life of freedom and a life of pain. I get to feel pain now. I get to feel the things I feel and live in the world I live in and learn to love and learn to challenge myself and try new things like being on a podcast. Isn't that fun? It's something new. And I love doing those things in my life. And if I was not sober, today's Sunday, I'd be hungover. I'd be like trying to figure out how to deal with that. And I'm so grateful. I was saying to Andrea earlier that I'm 62 years old now and I quit drinking at 40. And if I was still drinking that whole time, my physical body, my spiritual body, everything about me would be entirely different. And I'm so grateful to be sober today. It is the greatest gift of my life. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And you know what? I will come back and ask you that question after Kelvin answers the same question. So op the opening, your light, where do you feel that shift? Yeah, it shift um, in a very profound way for me. You know, my addiction started at a very young age. Um you know, it impacted me so much that I ended up quitting school, high school, um, and I went through this criminal, fast-paced lifestyle for a very long time, involved with selling drugs, using drugs, uh, being incarcerated. Um, but today in sobriety and recovery, you know, I have a home, I have my own car, um, I'm an entrepreneur now, I have my own healing practice, own healing business. Um, I have a, a, a substantial money, amount of money in the bank. Um, I have insurance, um, even including life insurance. Uh, so my daughter will be protected uh, once I leave this earth, you know, and all these different things is all materialistic things. Uh, but the real value is the relationships that I have now, you know, the relationship I have with my partner, the relationship I have with my daughter, my father, my brothers, my friends, my loved ones in my life. Um, those are priceless. And all those things that I shared is because of the choice I made to become sober and now have an opportunity to travel the country and really connect and share my story and share a holistic approach uh, to healing and recovery through sound healing, through breath work, through mind-body practices to help us to connect back to our inner, inner healer that dwells inside of us. And it's a beautiful way of living and I'm so grateful for it. And it is because of being sober, entering into a life of recovery and recovery is a lifestyle for me. And I'm loving the lifestyle that I'm living today. Thank you. Thank you. 
So Didi, getting back to this, I think, you know, having a master's in addiction counseling, I think of addiction as having so many more components than that. So how, how do you help somebody that, um, you know, Kelvin I, I, actually mentioned psychedelics. We, we, it is so hard to figure out the right equation for anyone. But so how do you help them even start that journey to see what's right for them? So the most important part to realize is you're not alone, that there's a team involved. When you're working with somebody, there's a whole boatload of other people working with them too. If you're working in an agency, if you're a, I'm a coach, so there would be a therapist involved, a psychiatrist involved, family members involved, spiritual coaches involved. We live in a very different world. It's not as linear as it once was. Um, we have options and opportunities for group work and all kinds of different things because there is no one solution or one answer. And what you're saying about this, it's very true. Mental health problems in our country. I think when Calvin started earlier talking about all of the influences of our world today, the amount of mental illness among our children is astounding. It is catastrophic, okay? And if we just focus on the addiction part of it, we've lost the problem, okay? We need to look at all of the entire society, and that involves everything, including the way our families relate to one another. I was sitting at lunch today, and there was a mother and a daughter. The daughter was probably... 11, sitting there having Sunday brunch together, and they were on their phones the whole time. Uh, they didn't even look at each other the whole time. Could be a million reasons behind that, but it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the way we operate in our families today that we need to take a look at, okay? So family work, family therapy, working around that, very important, having a good psychiatrist on board, dealing with, my gosh, all the, you know, both of these folks who are doing the physical body, like, we don't do that in our culture enough. We just throw a pill at it. It's like, take a moment to do some yoga, do some breath work, sleep well, turn off the TV at night and don't watch the news before you go to sleep and maybe you'll get a good night's sleep. Lack of sleep is one of the number one causes of torture in our world. It is, right? So true. Right. So, so we look at all these pieces. It may seem very small, but holistic response is big right now. And that's so exciting in partnership with psychiatry. I'm not saying one or the other. So I'd like each of you, do you can do it now to just talk about how you can be reached. I'd like it to be on audio and also what anything coming up that you have coming up that you'd like to promote. Um, That's, I mean, we're going to have this up in January. So anything that you'd like to. Okay. Um, I'll just quickly uh, finish up here. So my website is ddarmstrong.com if you're interested in reaching out to me. And I have a workshop, a family healing workshop coming up called Building Your Bridge from the Wreckage of Addiction to Family Healing in Nashville, Tennessee, which is so exciting, from March 1st to 3rd. So you'll be able to get a link on there for that. So that's exciting through Embrace Family Recovery. Wonderful. Thank you. you. Andrea? Um, my website is um, andreacashmanyoga.com, and currently I'm just working in um, the greater Milford area. Um, we do, um, I do participate with retreats, but the next one is next November. If anybody's interested, they can find the information on my website, and that will be not a specific sobriety um, type uh, retreat, but it will be yoga and dance in costa rica so it'll be a lot of fun and healing and um 
in in our program in Milford, we have sound healing as well as yoga and mindfulness and all these um, this triumvirate of um, healing practices to bring us into a state of mindfulness and self-love. Awesome. And Kelvin. Yes, um, people can find me at soulcarelovellc.com. Um, we have a array of different uh, classes and workshops that my, my partner and I, we offer. Um, you know, we also, um, well, I'm a part of the Phoenix community as well, too. So the Phoenix is a national sober uh, community. We do all kinds of different uh, wellness activities, um, such as yoga, sound healing, uh, rock con- uh, climbing, um, CrossFit, all kinds of different practices we have in Connecticut, but it's, it's, there's different chapters throughout the country and all of the, the workshops and events and classes are free of charge. The only thing they ask for is 40 hours of continuous sobriety, uh, which, but we don't, you know, have a breathalyzer or anything like that, checking people. And, but it's also for our allies and supporters of people that's in recovery as well, too. So you're more than welcome uh, to learn more about the Phoenix uh, at my website. And it's a great organization to be a part of. I'm honored to be a volunteer with them. And I have a different array of different organizations that I work with. And I do private and group sound healing sessions as well, too, as well as virtual um, sessions as well. Thank you all so, so much for this time. That's I'm very impressed with the panel. They are providing us perspective from the addiction side and how they recovered. And I couldn't just stop thinking about my dad. My dad was an alcoholic, and I remember the relationship that we had growing up and watching my dad deteriorate really from alcohol for many, many years. He ultimately got recovered uh, due to health issues, but I remember very vividly all the issues that we have went through, all the fight, all the frustration, so I have experienced firsthand what it is to live with an addict, an alcoholist. And there's so much to learn in this episode, even even for our, for future generations, because we didn't know anything about it. Also, we, we, we witnessed that, and our kids witnessed it, and we didn't know how to deal with it. So setting boundaries, like Didi says, I mean, Didi has some really incredible ways to, to frame that in an addiction frame. So if you have, um, you know, you can find a team that can help work with those problems. But addictions are so much bigger than just sobriety, which we're talking about here a lot around drugs and alcohol, but around this whole human condition of how we can create the best lives we want for ourselves. Uh, and, and, and that takes work, and it takes feeling the pain. It is so easy for uh, parents in the open nesting stage to all of a sudden feel uh, depressed, feel neglected, feel... Uh, lack of purpose and uh, resort to drinking uh, on drugs or whatever that is. And for me, I always looked at my dad as a hero and losing him as a hero was really, really a big loss for me. And I think the biggest loss for a family is the relationship that they have with the children or the parents. That is such a toll and such a loss. And uh, And I feel the pain. I feel Calvin pain. But I'm so proud of him for being a hero for his uh, daughter, for being the role model that she needs. He is proud of his achievement, and she is proud of him. And that is wonderful to see. I love how he phrases the, the addiction experience, is, is an experience, a human experience. 
and we don't have to label people. And so I hope you can also, Amir, look at your dad with more compassion and softness. Of course, it's like, of course. It's like you did. You showed so much compassion during those times, and I do remember. And then thinking of things as, as a loss is part of life, like how we experience loss and, and then the opening that can come from that in a relationship when we allow ourselves to, to be open to it. And I do believe that we learn from everyone in our lives and we learn from these setbacks. That's actually what we're all here to do is to learn. So this is a very deep way for us to say, where am I suffering the most and not yeah. really feeling what I need to feel to be in my life fully? Yeah, and I, and I see it directly related to the open nesting stage. It is a very sensitive stage, and you know one can get very lonely in that stage and can resort to alcoholism and to addiction of any kind. And I'm so so pl- pleased that we were able to bring such a panel together right here in the opening uh, uh, season, uh, the season opening of the Open Nesters podcast, and to provide some kind of a perspective from an addiction standpoint of view. It is incredible, incredible and very, very valuable information. It is, and I hope that people take it to heart the way this beautiful panel gave it to us from their hearts, and we thank them. And absolutely, we are hoping that you will join us in Season 4 of the Open Nesting Podcast. We will have season packed of experts, interviews, and many, many surprises. So stay with us throughout. Visit us at the Open Nesting Open Nesters podcast. That is the Open Nester, double in the middle, S at the end. We love to hear from you. Love to hear comments. Love to hear if you would like to suggest a guest or if, if something resonates with you, feel free to write to me, Tessa at theopennesters.com. Get onto our Instagram, be part of our community, our Facebook page. And again, we thank you and continue sharing and please subscribe on all the podcast platforms where you find us. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.